What's up with all the new faces? These days everybody wanna be famous. Don't wanna study, wanna make it on the A-list. To another A list podcast, it is yours truly, Shauna Dawn, and the one and only you can't clone me, your girl, Queen Baby. Now, today is a very special episode, episode seven. Am I correct? Yes, seven, episode seven, episode seven. And this is our first live audience studio podcast. Yeah, so, so live audience, got- make some noise. <laughs> funny because these are our students we teach them how to use social media and podcasts and radio so we decided to you know let them in on the a-list podcast let them see what it's really about exactly so you already know we get real blunt real raw and of course real honest but we're gonna tone it down a little bit just for the for the youth today we're gonna tone it down just a tad they're looking at me weird now because they don't want us to tone it down but we got to <laughs> gotta be a little censored just a little bit just a little bit <laughs> But it's also another special episode because we have a very, very special guest very today. Special. Very, very special guest. So, Matt, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hello, everyone. My name is Matthew Jean. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I'm the owner of Beachstone Counseling. I'm also the founder of The Go-To Therapist, and I love what I do. Uh, I'm happy to be here with you guys. I met you guys probably like a year and some change ago. That's crazy. And you guys have been doing your things. I want you guys to know that I've been following you and I'm proud of you. And and that documentary that you did, Uh, I showed it to some of my friends. They loved it as well. What's that? I was saying, I hope they liked it. Oh, no, they liked it. They did. It was dope. So I'm I'm happy to be here and especially in front of the young people. I wanted to apologize for being a little late, but better late than never. Here I am. Right. Right. But we don't really consider it it late. Okay, cool. All right. right. See, look, you snitch on yourself. Look. (laughs) It's all good. (laughs) So today's topic, we definitely, it's Minority Mental Health Month, for those of you that don't know. So we definitely are going to touch on some mental health, but then we're going to have some questions from the live studio audience, and just, we're going to see where the conversation flows. We want it to just be real honest, so we're going to get into it. Let's do it. So listen, me and Sean been talking about this. We've been so excited to get you here because it's like, we've been seeing this whole mental health trend going on, especially in our community, of course, like the uh, other... I don't know how I want to say it. The other races. Like, they... they just say it. Just say it. It's cool. <laughs> the white people. The pink people. It's right. <laughs> the pink people. Right. The pink people. <laughs> yeah, so... We all know, like, they, they gonna get the help. They need it, they get it. That's but right. But our people, like, we... It's this stigma, like, oh, well, I'm weak if I go to a therapist or I'm weak if I go vent to somebody and let them know what's going on. But now, it became a trend. Mm. Yeah. So, I, yeah. like, where did this come from? How do you feel about that? And is it a good thing or is it, like, I don't know, it's good that they get help, but it's also, like, it's kind of, like, not good because it's fake type of thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I hear you loud and clear. Mental health has always been something that's more important on the other side of the train tracks. Let's just say that, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> People have their therapist's uh, phone number on speed dial, you know, mm-hmm. you know, and they talk about it on shows, movies. I'm going to call my therapist. Are you going to go? I'm going to go. We're going to go to therapy. Right. And they're so excited about it. But us, <laughs> but us, we, we've had issues with not just mental health professionals, but medical professionals. And so there is a huge there was and, and we're doing better at it. But there was a huge mistrust when it came to medical professionals, mental health being one of those professionals. And so it's understandably. So why? the black community may have more issues trusting medical professionals, mm-hmm. mental health being a part of that. And so now that this trend is coming out where we're having more celebrities, or we're having more athletes talk about their mental health concerns, talk about their depression, now people will be like, oh, me too. You know, they mm-hmm. want to join something. And I'm okay with that because I think it's an issue that we need to address because guess what? We're the people that suffer more, uh, but we're the people that go to service less. Mm. So, so although the issues are more prominent in our communities, we're the ones that are less likely to go find assistance. So I'm happy. I mean, it, it's a little buzz for us, you know, and I get to see more people. I get invited to a cool podcast <laughs> like this. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm excited about this because I think with education, with, with more people understanding the value behind mental health, health is wealth. It's not just the physical health, but it's the mental health as well. And if they see the value behind it, then they'd be more likely to go pursue it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so two questions then. The first one, can you just explain, like, in your own definition, what is mental health? Because I feel like a lot of people are confused on the actual definition of it. Right. So when you when you say mental, well, people already know what physical health is. Physical yeah. health is everything that deals with your physical body. Anything mm-hmm. that's tangible, you can touch, you can see, you can deal with that. Mental health 
is more so the things that you cannot see, like the, the, the issues of the heart, the matters of the mind that's taking you outside or putting you in a state that doesn't allow you to function at your best, meaning it will alter your mental state. It will alter your emotional state to put you in a place where you're not at your best, where it's interfering with your social, your vocational, your relational, your, 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 um, a lot of your daily functionings. And when it starts to interfere with those things, then you may want to be concerned about, uh, is it something that's more mental or emotional, mm. you know? And so, uh, I, I had uh, a person that I saw speak, I think a year ago. And he said, if we say brain health, then people will be more likely to be like, ah, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Cause you can't see the mental, you can't see the emotional, but you can, the brain is an actual organ. And a lot of times what people don't understand is that when people are dealing with mental illness or emotional illness, it's the brain that they're talking about. You know, the brain is sick. So mm -hmm. when your brain is sick, who do you go see? Right. When you're not thinking straight, when you're not feeling good emotionally, who do you go see? You go see a mental health professional. And so if you understand the brain isn't doing well, then I may need to go see somebody. So think about it as brain health. If mm -hmm. you can reframe it for a little bit. Don't just think mental health or emotional health. Think brain health because the brain is an organ, just like your heart is an organ. You got to go see a chiropractor, you, you know, I mean, um, a cardiovascular or whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the back chiropractor, the teeth, you know, orthodontist or whatever. The same thing with the brain. You want to make sure that your brain is okay because mm -hmm. a lot of the times it is a brain issue, mm -hmm. you know. So mm -hmm. think of it as just brain health. Maybe that may help people. Uh, get a better understanding of it. So you talked about the the Me Too movement as so far as like mental health and stuff. Like people are saying they're depressed and stuff like that. But in my personal opinion, now I feel like everybody says they're depressed. Right. So do you think that that word has become sort of desensitized and it's becoming just the go-to thing to cop out of being able to actual deal with the actual issue? Yeah. I'm, I think the first thing we have to do is define what depression is. Depression okay. isn't just your everyday sadness. Everybody gets sad. I get exactly. sad. Exactly. That's my I get, whole You know, thing. I get I get sad for different reasons, you know, and I was in a state, I wouldn't call it depression, but I was in a, a, a lengthy period of time where I was sad, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, but how it interfered with my functioning. Like I said, if it starts to uh, make me less social, if I'm not interested in the things I'm usually interested in, like if I'm not hanging out with my boys, if I'm not eating, if I'm not sleeping uh, as much or if I'm sleeping too much or if I'm eating more or, or if... If, if, if it's interfering with my job or in other relationships, then it may be a cause for concern. So it's not just the sadness, but it's over a period of time and it's the amount that impacts the individual, their daily functioning. And so that's that's depression. And if people are saying that they're depression, then, then there are plenty of inventories, meaning there are plenty of resources they can go and find out if they are depressed because depression isn't, when you hear depression, uh, it doesn't mean that you have to run and go see someone, mm -hmm. you know, there's mild, there's moderate and there's severe mild depression. You, you should be fine. If you alter one or two things, moderate, then you may want to consider thinking about upping what you're doing or going to potentially see a mental health professional when it, when it's severe, then you want to definitely make sure that you go, uh, get help, which may involve seeing a psychotherapist and actually maybe taking medication. Mm -hmm. Okay, as far as like anxiety goes, mm -hmm. is is it anxiety a word that's within the mental health? Um, yes, or yes. Is it? But I'm saying like, is or is it a difference? Like, is it mental health and anxiety, or is anxiety, anxiety. Or, or is it yeah. like a subset of oh, mental health? So yeah. mental mental illness, mental illness is let, let's just put that to the top. So brain health is to the top. <laughs> brain health, brain health, right? Brain health <laughs> is to the top, and there are a lot of different diagnoses, meaning there are a lot of different. Uh, what a doctor will call prognosis. Like, what's the prognosis, doc? You have this. You, you're dealing with this, you know? You're dealing with X, Y, and Z. So when you come in to see any professional, what they have to do is a general assessment, meaning they have to uh, get some history, ask you a couple questions, do a couple assessments, and then from there, once they gather enough information, then they can give a diagnosis to say, then you're suffering from X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. Then you're suffering from this, this, and that, you know? And so... Um, Anxiety is, are, is one of those things that may fall under a mental illness or a mental health concern, okay. mm -hmm. you know, and anxiety, what, if people don't understand what that is, that's just a heightened state of arousal where you are um, fearful, where mm -hmm. you're anxious, where you're worried, where you're concerned over a period of the same thing. It's 
it's always over a period of time. It's, it's not like I'm anxious for right now, you know? Mm-hmm. Or I'm anxious to be in front of this audience right now. That's not anxiety. Anxiety, it follows you, you know? It, it, it's from this event to this event to this day to the next day. So it's something that's ongoing. You know, you have to think of all these issues as ongoing. You can have, you can cough right now, but that doesn't mean you have a cold, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. Right? And so you can be anxious right now, but it doesn't mean you have anxiety, mm. you know? Okay. So you have to differentiate between the forest from the trees. The tree may be that one thing. The forest may be the actual diagnosis. You okay. know? So you w- w- look look at everything in context. There's, there's always criteria, meaning there's a checklist that the DSM, uh, these, you know, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, I think it's on five now, you know, where they gather all the information as it relates to a particular issue, and they come and they, and they bring about a list of things to look for to then diagnose the individual with whatever said issue that they're suffering with. Anxiety may be one of them. Mm-hmm. You wanted to go? Oh, I was going to say, so I know you. We, we just talked about the whole everybody's sort of kind of in, including it all together now, but I know personally I, as a man, do you think men are less likely to... <laughs> to be okay with the with the with just mm. the overall meaning of it than women because I feel like women are mm. more acceptable of getting help than a man yeah. would ever be to just flat out even deal with depression or mental. Health. I was waiting on this one right here. Oh, I was waiting on this before one before you answer that. Sure. I just feel like I think because y'all are very cocky because even like y'all don't even like to talk beyond because <laughs> beyond even seeking like a therapist y'all don't even like to talk to y'all period you should, like yeah. talk to a woman yeah. like yeah, that other, you're yeah. in a relationship with about your problems or a friend like y'all just so hardcore like y'all don't want to open up very true and, and so I, I could touch on both you know uh, i was raised in miami i was raised in opalaka and um <laughs> Somebody said, oh. Okay, I said, Opalaka, what's wrong with Opalaka? I said, it's You stand in the whole gated community. Yeah. It's whole different. Gated. <laughs> oh, so she nice with hers, right? She nice with hers. Okay, you're good. You're good. <laughs> I, I was raised in Opalaka in the late 80s and early 90s when Opalaka was oh, nothing to was mess with. Right? Oh. And so um, I remember growing up in Opalaka, and I remember uh, having to be a particular way. Like, you had to be. You had to be this way. Yeah. If you weren't that way, then you then you got bullied, you got mm-hmm. picked on, you got you got you were a target, basically. And so what I came to understand is that I was developed in a man box, meaning there are specific criteria that I had to adhere to to show my masculinity. Mm. And if I didn't show that masculinity, then I was picked on, I was bullied. And so there's this thing called toxic masculinity, which doesn't allow us to show our emotions, to admit that we have issues, to talk and be vulnerable that a lot of young men still adhere to. We believe that we have to be stoics, you know, suck it up. You're a man. Be a man. Don't cry. What you crying for? You weak. You soft. You this, you that. Mm. And I believed that for a very long time to the point where I even saw that in other people and was a person that would point that out and make fun of them. Yeah. Wrong understanding. Didn't have the right people in my life to show me differently. My understanding of it right now is totally different. Right. That hinders us from actually expressing uh, what's going on in the inside, which actually prevents us from having the quality of life that we need to have better relationships, mm. right? And so there was a study that was done, I can't remember how long ago, that found out that women will outlive men by five to ten years because they talk. Mm. Just like because that. they talk to... You like that, dude. Well, I got something for her. She, she like seemed... Like, I, got, I got something you, for you. You like the fact that uh, the brothers no, are dying I just early? Like, <laughs> I just want to... I like the fact that that's just... That statistic yeah, is out, yeah. so y'all it can't is. talk it more. It is, you know, it is. But before you, before you continue, because she, we brought up the toxic masculinity, and she talked right. about how she feels like women. I mean, men, they don't talk, they don't even want to talk to women. But I feel like this whole generation of women wanting less toxic men, or actually wanting emotional men, yeah. or men that show their that's a new they that's the a Drake. new phase. They want the Drakes. Of that's no, a new phase. Women were like the Drakes of this world. No, I don't think it's a new phase. I think y'all just seeing it like seeing it more now. Quay, you it, can't lie. And no. old women did not. You raised your child like. Don't cry. What you crying for? Like why? Why are you like? That's how women raise their 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 children, their young yeah. boys. So if that's how we we've been taught to grow up, now y'all want it to be different. Y'all want it to be changed. This whole women wanting emotional men thing. But is that's new. just a generational this is new. thing. That's that new. Not- so let's clean it up. Let's clean it up for a second. <laughs> uh, emotional person isn't a, a, a it's not a bad thing. Yeah, it's not. it's not. To express your emotions, to be aware of your emotion, I think uh, there's an actual thing called emotional intelligence. Your emotional IQ, right? And your emotional IQ is basically how you utilize and understand, first of all, your own emotions. Mm-hmm. So being aware of how you feel. Right? How do I feel today? How do I feel right now? And then understanding how 
what you feel may influence every interaction that you have. It doesn't stop there, <clears throat> excuse me, with emotional IQ or emotional intelligence. It also goes, goes further to say, uh, how does someone else feel? So I have to be aware of how you feel and how you feel may interfect may interact with me and how I feel, mm -hmm. right? And then being aware of both how I feel and how you feel and how everybody feels in the room mm -hmm. to see how we can get the best outcome, that's someone that's emotionally intelligent. I'll give you an example, mm. right? That's hard, though. That's vibes. Give you an example, you right? Vibes. The vibes. You yeah. got it, right? Let me give you an example, right? This is a classic scenario. You go to McDonald's or Burger King, mm -hmm. right? The employee is not having a good day. They got burned on the grill, <laughs> Somebody, okay, go to cashier, then you got burner grill, go to cashier. So they're on the cashier now, they're taking your order, they're giving you an attitude. You be like, why you give me an attitude? Right? Always. But you don't know the context of what they just been through. <laughs> you just know that they're salty. They're like, can I take your order? And you're like, what? Hold up, right? You know? Can so I get you, a smile with that? Right? You ready, <laughs> you ready to fire back because you, maybe you're not aware of how you were feeling before you even interact with this person. Maybe mm. you may be carrying something from another interaction you had wow. into this interaction. And this person already is feeling physically damaged because they got burnt. And now they got sent to another place, you know, mm -hmm. where they're probably not even comfortable with. So that interaction that they, that you guys going to have is not going to be a good one. You can, you can interchange this McDonald's, the DMV, right? Mm -hmm. The airport lady at the ticket booth, right? Mm -hmm. A whole bunch of different people. If we're not aware of how we're feeling, and how we feel interact with how other people are feeling and to see how all of our emotions can produce the best outcome, meaning being aware of everyone's emotion and in the room and then see how you can produce the best outcome, then you're always going to end up, well, not always, but for the most part, you could end up with a situation that you're not content with. Mm. I feel like now these days, everybody, I see it on Twitter a lot. Everybody, like you said, they use that word toxic. So you'd be like, Oh, you toxic for this? Or like, like if you went to that situation at the Burger King or McDonald's and the person was upset, oh, they have them. They're toxic. They giving or me bad they energy. A negative vibe. Yeah. yeah like, but yeah. now the way when you put it in the context like that, like maybe you're the toxic person. Like yeah. you yeah. have to recognize yep. your own toxicness. And I feel like yeah. a lot of people don't want to yeah, do that. Yeah, a lot of people don't it, know their energy or yeah. their aura, and especially when they come in into something they know nothing about. So yeah. it's so, like, she, you have a question. Come to the mic. Come to the mic. We got a question, but well, as she's coming, let me let me let me clarify something really quick. So, that that's all, all a part of being emotionally intelligent. Mm -hmm. I'm always aware of how I feel, and so if I'm aware of how I feel, mm -hmm. what that allows me to do is avoid certain situations where I know my interaction isn't going to be positive. Yeah. Right. If I know I'm not good today, and the person is giving me attitude at Burger King, I'll be like, you know what? Not today. I'm, I'm going to just go ahead somewhere <laughs> yeah. else. Because if I continue, then that interaction will be toxic even more so for both of us. And then it just go farther because once you leave there, you're going to go to a friend and be like, this person that, that right? made me yeah. mad. Right? So, so it just carries. Yeah. And so you have to be aware. And then we're going to get to that. Let's let's get this young lady's question. This question may be a little... No. Just speaking oh. of mine. <laughs> this question may be a little kind of off the wall, but it does have something to do with mental health. Do you think that if a teen is in a toxic relationship. Oh, we was going to get to that, but go. That she can, her mental state can be altered by a guy, I guess, bringing her down and degrading her and stuff. Like his energy just being negative. Definitely. Yeah, I don't even know. Yeah, <laughs> only because like, especially, in, and it always come from the, because I was going to ask you about the whole, what's the biggest problems ask, that ask families me, have. Ask me everything. We going to get there. Ask, yeah. Okay, but to answer your question, only because, like, it's just bad energy overall. And sometimes it carries from the, the top, the head, the mama and the daddy, or just the mama or just the daddy. And then it carries, trickles down to you and the relationship mm. that you're in with that person. So now they harming you, and then it, it just goes on and on from there. So it's like, sometimes you got to separate yourself from that. Sometimes you just got to get away because you don't want that energy. You don't want it at all because it brings you down. Then you going to end up having to see a therapist, and you like, you seen um, Acrimony? No. Oh, dang. Is that a but, is that a movie? Yeah, yeah. with Taraji Crazy, but oh yeah, but yeah I, I haven't seen it yet. I'm yeah. gonna check it out. Oh god, oh my god, you would love it. And it's like based <laughs> off of her talking to a therapist about what goes on because she's in this toxic relationship right. for so long, and then 
she has that breaking point, and then that breaking point messes her up. And you don't never want to be in that situation yeah. like that. Not to mention just that, but you also have to realize you have to, if that situation has been something that you've witnessed or watched or observed, you have to be, realize that you could be the person that breaks the family cycle, that breaks wow. that, that cycle, that keeps it going. And then to keep it going further, you also have to realize, I feel like with women, y'all, not a problem that you guys have, but it's innate in women to just yeah, want to nurture. Nature and you want to fix. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you have to realize that you can't fix everybody's energy. Can't you can't it. fix it's, everybody's vibe. Like it's it's not you can't do it all, but you can control your energy mm-hmm. and how the environment that you're in affects mm-hmm. you. Especially when you know it's a problem. So that means if you know it's a problem, that means get out. Like, yeah, it's okay. It's easier said than done, though. Yeah, it is. Let me share a story. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm a different breed. I'm I know. Savage. I feel, hey, hey, do it. I'm living it every day. Do it. Living it every day. Let me share a story. Let me share a story of actually how I got interested in the field of psychology, right? Mm -hmm. So I was in high school at Central, one time for Central. Oh, she got to Central. (laughs) See, there we go. And I cheer for Central. Just throw that out. All right, all right. (laughs) So I was in high school at Central, and and, uh, there was a course that I took called Law Studies. It was an elective, and our our teacher at the time uh, had us do a mock trial where they set up the classroom like a courtroom, and we had to do a case, and I had to play the role of a psychiatrist mm-hmm. who's defending a woman who murdered her husband in cold blood, right? And I'm like, oh, this is just some good stuff right here. It's juicy. <laughs> in high school, so this, it, it was interesting. So mm-hmm. uh, I had to do some research to find out more about what this field is, you know, what a psychiatrist is, and uh, I had to read the actual case study as well. This was a true story. They just altered the names and other information so it won't reveal the identity of the people. And so... The issue, the story goes that this lady murdered her husband, and then she called the cops on herself. She called the cops on herself. By the time the cops got there, buddy in the back like, what? <laughs> right? She called the cops on herself. When the cops got there, the husband was laying on the bed, fully clothed, dressed. All his wounds were already patched up. He's dead already. No blood. She cleaned up all the blood. The house was spotless. So the cops are looking around. They see the murder weapon. The murder mm-hmm. weapon doesn't have any bloods, no print, because she wiped it down clean, just presented. Here you go, officers, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the officers were really uh, baffled by what they saw to the point where they went in the closet and they saw that each of the hangers were a half an inch apart. Like everything was so immaculate in the household. The house was spotless. And so they asked her what happened. It was like, well, um, they asked, why is the house so clean? And her response really made them more aware of the state she, she, she had to be in. So she said that I didn't want uh, you guys to come over and the house be filthy wow. because I didn't want my husband to be upset. Mm. So this guy's already passed away on the bed and she's still thinking that I don't want to upset this man for fear of what he would do to me. And he's already dead, right? And so I came across a terminology that, 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 is, that, is, uh, that says learned helplessness. The, the term is learned helplessness. And when you think about compound words, you think about two words that complement each other in a way that it makes sense in the greatest context. Learned helplessness. But when I brought those two together, it didn't make sense. How do you learn how to be helpless? <laughs> right? And so what I found out later on is that that terminology came from a researcher called Pavlov who researched on animals where he would put a dog in a cage. The cage was low enough to where the dog can jump out. He would shock the dog. The dog would automatically jump out naturally, shock the dog again and to where he would actually determine that this is a normal behavior. And then he would tether the dog, put a collar on the dog, tie the dog down to where he would shock the dog. The dog would try to jump out but can't. Mm-hmm. He would get pulled back down, right? So he did that over and over and over to where the dog just stopped jumping. Wow. Because if I try to jump, I'm going to get pulled back down, right? Wow. So he took the collar off. Now the dog can jump out. Shock the dog. The dog did not jump out. Wow. Why? Yeah. Oh. It, yeah. it, got, it learned. It got conditioned. It learned how to live in a helpless or hopeless situation. Learned helplessness. And so that was in high school. And when I learned that, I'm like, yo, that's this young lady right here. That's this young man right here who, who stays in abusive relationships, whether it's verbal or emotional. And they stay there and they learn how to cope. They learn how to make this their new normal. Wow. And they believe psychologically that... If I leave, then no one outside of this box will actually accept me or want me because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm broken or I'm battered or, or, or I'm not good enough or all these other things that they will think about themselves. I'm less than. I have less value. Who's going to want me? And that's a, whole, that's a part of the psychological abuse that goes on in a situation where you're in a box, you're being abused, and you don't feel like you can get out. 
And sometimes it's the fact that we still hold on to the simple fact that I can change you. Yeah. I yeah. could change you. Like, yeah. I'm going to change you. Like, it, it's like a, a game. Like, I'm going to change you. Oh, like, you, because you don't want. You don't, you don't want that can do it. No, I'm just giving it. <laughs> no, example. but I feel like that's how they feel. Like, they feel like you just put so much power in yourself. Like, I, I'm going to be, I have the power to do this. Like, I, like, right. we're a project in a sense. Like, I, I right. can make it happen. Right. But, and then you get messed up in the long run. Yeah. Oh, you get way more than it's messed stuck. up because it's not just the physical abuse that you may be receiving. Physical may be a part of it or may not be a part of it, but it's also the psychological abuse to believe that there's nothing better for you outside of this box. Right. Mm -hmm. You tried to get out. You just got pulled back down. You tried multiple times. So now just take this beating or just take this verbal abuse or just take the psychological abuse because you ain't going nowhere. Who's going to want you? Who's going to want you? Nobody wants you. You're ugly anyway. No one cares for you. Look at you. Right. And so they beat you up enough mentally, emotionally or physically to where you believe that there's nothing better for you outside. So even though the person is free to leave, remember the collar was taken off. Mm -hmm. Now that they're so programmed that they won't even attempt to leave. So it's not that they can't. And most people who get out of those relationships, when they look back, they'd be like, what was I waiting for? Mm-hmm. Why did I stay there for so long? And the answer, simple answer, is because their minds were conditioned to believe that this is all that they could ever have. Okay. Now, I'm glad you brought up about the, the person that do end up leaving and getting right. out of that state. Yeah. How, like, what do you think about, one, getting closure... Is it important mm. or is it necessary? And also, me and Sean talked about this on our last podcast, forgiveness. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, what you think about that? It very, very, very important. You know, uh, for a lot of the individuals, men and women, that come to my office and they have to deal with trauma, um, we do a whole process of work with them. One of the most important work is to, uh, to, to make sense of what happened in the context of when it happened, so if it happened as a child, as a teenager, we make sense of it, of how it impacted that individual physically, mentally, and emotionally, and how what that trauma was impacted them from that point forward, right? So if it happened at 15, it impacted you at 15 emotionally and mentally, but how did that residual trauma impacted you Long 16, time. 17, 18, wow. 19? So then you get to go back and be like, man, this allowed me to feel my feel this way about myself which caused me to do this that and this might be the cause of why i tripped up here and there the and domino you make effect. sense of all of, yeah the domino effect so you make sense of all of that you process all of that and you also have to talk about how it's impacting you currently and how it could impact you in the future that's just the beginning after you do that then there's reconciliation you know when you look back because you don't want to carry this burden of just uh of hatred of animosity, of, of resentment, because even that is toxic inside of you. That's negative energy that hinders you from being open enough to have a good relationship with anyone that's around you, whether it's a friend, a family member, a child that you may have, mm. right? Because that child may even remind you or may be a trigger of what occurred to you in the past. Mm-hmm. And so the way you relate to that child may be mm. different based on the trauma that you have received, different trauma, different impacts. And so a part of that, it's not going back and, and, and necessarily making sure that person is forgiven, but making sure that you can give forgiveness. Yeah. The person doesn't even have to be there, right? Mm-hmm. But it's the process of knowing that you have forgiven. Mm. You know, If you are fortunate enough to have a relationship with that person, it's not to say that you have to be now back in right relationship with that person and put yourself back in harm's way. Mm-hmm. It's, it's to give that person something that they may have not given you, wow. right? And that right there is more freeing than a, than a... It is It is hard, and it's not a process that I say is going to happen in a month, in a week, uh, and, and, and six months, but eventually, if you can, that's more holistic, you know? Mm-hmm. Knowing that this person doesn't have any more power over you because they still have a part, a space in your heart, even if it's anger, they still have a space in you. They still have some type of impact on your daily functioning because what happens is that we think we suppress it, but it comes out every now and then in different relationships mm-hmm. when we, you know, when we're short with someone mm-hmm. or when we're not as, as, as kind with someone or when we're using choice words with someone or when we're in a relationship and the person may put their hands on your shoulder and it brings you back. Right. So, right. Yeah. Like and we so said, you got I'm sorry. No, no that's <laughs> fine. That's fine. And so a, a part of it is getting that right type of closure. You know, 
and it's a hard journey to go on, but it's a journey that you need to go on to end okay. up, so it's uh, end up being, you know, the person that can be in the right relationship with those relationships that are more important to them. Mm -hmm. So it's like the, the hurt may not be your fault, but the healing is still up to you to do. You can't Definitely. expect. And I think we yeah. talked about it a little bit last week and it's just like, I feel so like so much times you want you want somebody to feel you like oh they need to feel me like they need to feel why they like how I felt right. about this but you can't always expect them to to understand like because sometimes they won't and they, they never won't. will and you, they won't sometimes they sometimes they may not sometimes they may because people do change you yeah. know and this is this is a very hard conversation to have within the black community because there is a lot of unaddressed hurt that happens in our community. That we just don't talk about. Yeah. We don't talk about trauma. We don't talk about sexual abuse. We don't talk about domestic violence. We don't talk about child abuse. We don't talk about a lot of these things that happen. And so a lot of the healing that's supposed to happen never happens. And then we repeat it the next generation because we never had a real conversation about it. Mom, let's sit down and talk about this. Mom is like, no way. I'm done. I don't want to wow. re re bring up these emotions so I can feel angry again. But mom never really healed from it. And so now she is at odds with her child because mm -hmm. she can't give the child something that she never received for herself, Ooh. you know? And so it, it makes it so toxic that I feel when we do address these things, if I can get the entire family in the room and then sit there for five hours mm. and to hash it out and to scream and to yell and to cuss and to do and to cry and to receive that healing, man, it'll make a world of difference because these things are plaguing us, you know, to the point where... We feel as if something happened to our child, that's going to bring shame to us. Mm. This child needs healing, you know? The shame is, is, is not acknowledging it and not getting that kid the proper help that they need and not admitting the role the parent may have played in allowing it to happen. Mm -hmm. and, and just because it happened, it doesn't mean that that defines your entire parenting, right? That's a mistake. We all make mistakes. We drop the ball every now and then. But that doesn't define you as a parent, as a person. That doesn't give you your value. And so talking about these things will bring so much more healing to our community. You you hit on it because I was going to say, I feel like a lot of the, especially with with like uh, child molestation and stuff like that, I feel like the parents think it's it's their fault. So it's easier not to talk about it and just to sweep it under the rug or or just to forget it happened because you don't want, you don't want everybody to, oh, you're a bad parent. Like, how did you let that happen? How did you make right. let this happen? Right. But at the same time, you never like the child, like you said, the child is never going to get that closure, the understanding that they need about the subject. So then like, it just goes down. I'm teaching my child not to talk about it, not to bring it up. And you I think what's even worse is in the black communities is sometimes they'll still include the, the abuser It still include oh, the, yeah. the person that, that he's still that invited to the barbecue. Yeah, like she's still invited to the barbecue. Just, I'm glad that you said she, too, because it happens both, both ways. Sides, and I feel yes. like you one that's we'll talk on that in a second. But mm -hmm. I just think it's wild that that. Like you said, it's just so much unaddressed hurt. Even even um, going back to the whole emotions thing, because I know for me, per se, like my mom, like my mom and daddy, like they didn't grow up with the "I love you" yeah. and like come get yeah. like we. I didn't grow, up, I didn't have that, but my mom is doing it now. Right. But now I'm growing. I'm in the face <laughs> like, why are you talking to me, girl? Why you why you trying to hug like, why you, me? Like, <laughs> get why off you me? To me? Like, but that's <laughs> because I didn't grow up with it. So now I'm growing, and I'm like in this mindset. It's like. It's going to be, I don't think it's going to be hard because I feel like I can't, like, you know, break it through. Like, I, I'm on the verge of breaking through it. But it's still like, dang, mom, if you was like this with me from, from the, the beginning, beginning right. like, I wouldn't be going through this or having this problem or just, right. you know, not so much accusing her or accusing my daddy. It's just a simple fact that, like, don't do it now. Like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> too low, too late. And, and they're not, you know, I'm, I think because this conversation is so important, one of the things that we have to do for our parents in the previous generation is that we have to learn how to uh, understand their context. Meaning, when we see the full picture, then it allows us to have more empathy. And if you have more empathy, then you approach the situation differently. I'll use myself for an example. Uh, my dad, his father died when he was seven. So his male figure was gone, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. And so he just phoned it in as a father, you know? He was there physically, Emotionally unavailable, mentally unavailable for all of us. And then there was physical abuse, meaning, listen, there was a lot of whoopings. Mm -hmm. Unnecessary. The crime may be this. The punishment will be way up here, <laughs> yeah, right? Right. Yeah. I'm talking about <laughs> severe to the point where 
it was it was not just abuse, but it was also neglect. Mm-hmm. Some of us would actually get injured and we wouldn't get medical help. You know, it was really bad. And so what that did for all of us, four siblings, I'm the youngest of the four, was that it caused all of us to have a lot of anger. And so from elementary to high school, I had a chip on my shoulder. I was very angry, but it came from a place, right? My dad not having his dad there allowed him to just be a father that phoned it in, mm-hmm. right? And so a lot of his disappointments in me came from him not understanding his role fully, right? So when I look back at his parenting now, mm-hmm. I can't be upset with him. I could only empathize with him and to think to myself that if he knew better, maybe he would have done better. And I've actually seen it because now that I'm a father, he's taking pages out of my book. Mm-hmm. And doing it to the... And, 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 and yeah, and now learning, oh, maybe I should have done this. Maybe I could have done this this way, mm-hmm. you know? And so one of the things we have to do, if, if the space and time allow us, is that we have to validate our parents as to say that, look, you were dealt a really bad hand. And because you were dealt such a bad hand, this is the best that you could have done with what you had, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and that validation allows them to feel more vulnerable in the space to where they can now start maybe even saying sorry. Maybe. I'm not saying that is guaranteed, but maybe they can start looking up and seeing where they fell short, you know? And sometimes you can just go to them and just affirm them, period. You know, we only look at a lot of the negative things that happen. We don't see how much they actually sacrifice to actually allow us to be where we are right now. And so one of the things that I encourage young people to do is try to see what you can take from the previous generation. Don't just look at, oh, man, I'm definitely not going to be like my dad. My mom did this. Look to see what values, principles, morals, standards that they did instill in us and then say thank you. Be like, you did a great job. That's why I'm able to be a hustler that I am, a go-getter, you know, that's why I have this tenacity. That's why I have this personality. That's why I have this drive. That's why, you know, and then validate them. Be like, thank you. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not looking for anything in response uh, in return. Now you're just giving back to them what they may not have given to you, you know, and that's an important piece because they, you know, they had it rough too. Yeah. Yeah. We do got to think about that sometimes. But <laughs> it's like, nah, I got a rough too. So not yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> So yeah. just before we uh switch, I want to switch gears more so to friendships because I know we did like relationships and just family issues and stuff like that. But wait, before you go there, have you ever did a session with a family member, or it's just like yeah, you come talk to me? Like your own family? Oh my own? No, no, yeah. no I, we can't do that. Okay, we can't do that because it's unethical. That's a dual relationship, mm-hmm. you know. But I have had some keep it real sessions with them. You know? okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> right. To where we, you know, we do hash it out. And so I went to therapy. You know, that's something that I have to talk about and have to be open about because people think that therapists, we have it all together. Nah, son. I went to therapy <laughs> in college. I was jacked up in college and I had to go to therapy. Um, but it was probably one of the best decisions that I made as a young black man because it allowed me to address some of the issues that I needed to address before I got married, you know? And so if I didn't address those issues, then I would bring all those issues with me in that marriage, which wouldn't have been healthy. So... When I went to therapy, true story, the first session, I lied the entire session because I didn't want to be judged. I'm like, I don't know you. I don't know you. I don't know you, bro. I don't. I don't know you. So I felt very uncomfortable revealing some of the truths that were essential to my healing. And so I lied. The second session, he called me out. He was like, are you done lying now? Can we get to to some real (laughs) work? He wasn't even a good liar. Uh, Nah, you know. But, you know, he, he, he was a... Black older man. Yeah. yeah he, had, he had the BS meter up to. And so um, what it allowed me to do was to go address some of the hurt that I had with my family members. One of the assignments was to go speak to my father about some of the uh, validations that I didn't receive mm-hmm. about some of the um, setbacks that he were the he, he was the main catalyst in. And my older brother as well, who's two years older than I had allowed me to go address some of those issues with him as well. Because when my father dropped the ball, then I start to look to my two older siblings as that father figure. And they weren't always the best example. Mm -hmm. But a part of that is allowing them to know that it wasn't their fault, right? Because that my dad didn't do a good job and I started looking to them. 
but I still had to get closure. So I had to go address some of the hurts that I received from them as well. From everybody. Everybody, everybody. got to feel me. All y'all. One by yeah, one. You know? And it took a lot, but when I did it, it was it was powerful for me because I didn't feel that weight, that animosity, that resentment that I had towards them. And I could now go into this new relationship a little bit better. Mm-hmm. You know? And so it's important uh, that I did go and have these conversations with my family. Okay. Yeah. So I'll just... I know one thing that I do a lot is I'm one of those people like I love giving other people advice or telling other people what to but do or telling. Take your own and advice. I, I'm, I hate when it when the conversation gets flipped back on me. It's like I I pretend to have it all all together so much where I'm doing so much for everybody else. Like I like to consider myself the strong friend. Ah, like, see, that like, I was just gonna get to that. Yeah, too. like come come like I, I come to me with your issues, come to me with your problems. Like I have no problem helping you. This is that and the third. But it's like it's getting to the point now where it's like sometimes it's like. Who wants to hear hear me? Who wants to hear my side of this? Like, who wants? How, how am I doing today? Like, what? Like, you get what I mean? Like, when are, yeah. when is that question gonna yeah. be asked? And I feel like, yeah, some. I'm just to the point now where it's like I need my own help. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Um, one of my favorite artists, Royce the Five Nine, mm-hmm. has an album called Book of Ryan, mm-hmm. and one of the songs on there is Strong Friend, where he talks specifically about those individuals like yourself and myself, probably you two. I'm well, the middle friend. Well, we, <laughs> well, we're the go-to individuals for all of our friends. You know, you have an issue, let me go holla at Sean. Let me go holla at Matt. And and so, what it does for us, it sets us up to receive a lot of benefits from that because it's it, it feels good to help people. Yeah, yeah. we got to admit that. Yeah, it, it feels does. good to help people from point A to point B. Especially when, oh, you want my advice? Right. Well, let me give it to you. Right. Yeah. The danger in that is who's doing that for you, right? Who's who? Who is that strong friend for you? Right. Excuse me. And in the song, at the end of it, it says, check up on your strong friends. So these individuals, we have to make sure we check up on them. These are our leaders. These are our, our, our ministers. These are our teachers. These are our, you know, community, all these different people that are at the top, business, whatever. These are the individuals that are more vulnerable because of the pressure that they have to carry. Yeah. You got to check up on these individuals consistently, you know. Uh, how you doing today? You know, last week I didn't hear from you. What's going on? Are you okay? You know, because these people, they have issues too. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the best example of that are ministers, <laughs> you know, ministers take on oh, so yeah. much, like, who do they so go much to? 24, 7, 365, calling their phones, showing up at their house, everything, you know, and the black community specifically. And these people take on so much. And that's why there's a high turnover rate. They get burnt out so quick and they leave. They never want to come back because there's so much to take on. And so we have to make sure we check up on these strong individuals that are making sure the community is okay. We have to make sure that they are okay too. Mm -hmm. They have to make sure that they're okay. okay. Mm -hmm. And I I feel like one thing now that everybody does is like, oh, I I talk to God about it. Like I I talk, but I granted and like, I talk about that. You see the shirt. Thank God. I love, I love me some Jesus. I love (laughs) him. But at a certain point in time, you need somebody that's going to, God, he does talk back to us, but you need somebody that's going to give you verbal communication then and there. I feel like, and that's, for those people, it's like, oh, like, I've gave it to God, I've done this, I've done that, and the third, but where, are yeah. you having conversation with somebody? Yeah, I love this song called, and I, the the lyrics in the song says, I turn it over to Jesus, he worked it out. You know that song? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Turn it over to Jesus, he worked it out. And he will, Which all the time. He will, Amen. he will. A part of that is turning it over to him and allowing him to help you find the right professional yeah right sometimes i gotta pray for a good mechanic because i don't trust a lot of them <laughs> you know i gotta pray for a good dentist because you know i'm scared of that drill you hear that coming right like, for oh, the gosh. managers at your job right you gotta you know so you gotta pray for you gotta pray for the 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 the, the appropriate person to be a part of that healing mm-hmm. you know and so i, I put a i made a face i made a, a post on, on instagram that says pray for a good therapist yeah right oh Right. Yeah. So you're you going to pray for something. Pray for a good therapist. Pray that this person that you're going to be vulnerable with is the person that God wants to help you heal. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, yes, you can you can take it to prayer, which I strongly believe in. But I also believe that we have to pray and act. We don't just pray and just sit there and just and just hope we have to act. There's a portion of that that requires you to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And what are we doing about it? So making sure that the, the that strong individual is is looking out for their mental and emotional health as well. So, check up on your strong friends, people. No, for real. Because I need some checking up on them. But, 
Um, so just to get it going more forward, do you feel like the black community specifically as it relates to church or as it relates to, to, to God and stuff like that, do you feel like he or I want to phrase it the right way. Do you think Get it, get it, get it. You I really want it because I don't want it to come out sounding crazy. Mm-hmm. It, it won't, man. Just, you know, whatever the question is, it's the question. So if it's if it's, if it's it's religion, I know that's a sensitive area and you don't want to step on anybody's toes. I don't the, mind stepping on toes. <laughs> but these questions, they need to be had. They need to be asked, you know. Do you think that sometimes our, our pastors or preachers or things like that, that sometimes they're also a cause of, the issues, because I feel like a lot of preachers, they don't preach to, to teach or something. They preach, oh, just feel good, feel good, feel good, feel good. And then no, they don't want to acknowledge the earth, too. Everything's peaches and creams, everything. Jesus died on the cross. He rose again on the third day. So you rise up, too. Rise up. Like, don't sit in it. Don't don't be sad. Like, they don't encourage us to not be. Be vulnerable like, and you, then get up from they that don't, point. They don't teach us to not be, like, to be okay with not being okay sometimes. Like, right. you have to understand. Oh, okay. like, you get yeah. what I mean? It's yeah. okay to not be okay, I yeah. feel. Yeah, yeah. One of the best answers to that question speaks about when when Christ's friend um, Lazarus died, mm-hmm. right? Come he, on, educate me. He, he mourned, <laughs> right? Yeah. He felt it. And I think a lot of what we do is we try to just be like, I'm better. I'm better. I'm good. Let me move on with my life. But a part of healing is actually acknowledging and feeling what you feel. Acknowledging the hurt. You know, and it's okay. It's, it's not like because we're Christian, we don't have emotions. Christ displayed emotion. He displayed sadness. He displayed anger. He displayed a lot of other emotions. And so we have to be okay with displaying these emotions as well. It's not to say that we should stay there, right? Mm-hmm. And if you also saw uh, an example of how he interacted with people who are at their lowest points, right? Mm-hmm. The way he interacted with people at their lowest points was... He cared for them exactly where they were. Where they are. You know, exactly where they were. And, but he didn't leave them there. You know, one of the main things he, he always said was go and sin no more. Right? So after the healing happened, after he interacted with you, he still showed you that you, had, you have value. He still showed you that you have worth, you know, in his interaction with you. And then one of the points that's very, very valuable is that he treated people who society wouldn't necessarily treat the right way because they had issues, mm-hmm. whether it's physically, emotionally, mentally. He treated these people with such regard. Like he he cared for those individuals, you know? Mm-hmm. He, he he fellowship with these people. He spent time with these individuals. And I think that that's supposed to be our attitude with individuals, friends, family members, a part of the church, outside of church. We have to interact with them in that same fashion. We have to show them that they still have worth, they still have value. They still mean something. They still have a voice. We still have to love and care for them. The best, another example of that is the woman at the well, right? She was there. <laughs> in short, she was loose, right? She was a little loose. <laughs> Real she had, loose. She had, right? She had five relationships, previous marriages, mm-hmm. at that who knows what happened to them. She was with a person that wasn't her husband, right? Come on, godly and, woman. And then, and then, and then, when Christ met her, she was running away from the, the 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 people in the town because she came at a point where nobody would be there. She knew that, right? Mm-hmm. And when he met with her, one of the first things he requested of her is for her to minister to him, meaning that even in your state where mm. you are, you can still pour into me and help me refresh myself. That shows that whatever condition, mentally, emotionally, physically. That people still have value. They you can still have something to give. You still have something to give. And I think that is a message that needs to be put out there too. Because sometimes, me included, I feel like I have nothing to offer. I feel so filthy. I feel so wretched, right? Mm-hmm. That I feel like I can't give anybody anything. And so it allows me to not even take advantage of that giving and that that the benefit we get from doing for others oh, yeah. as well. Right? Which compounds my own or issues that I, I have already. Mm-hmm. You know? And so Christ was like, man, you, you have value. I need you to get me some water so that I won't be thirsty. You know? And that opened up an interaction for them to now have some healing. You know? okay. so. A word. Any questions? <laughs> Just a little bit. Any All questions right. from the audience? No? Y'all got questions? 
Yeah. Okay. Come here, Tristan. No, come to the mic. <laughs> Anybody else? Brianda, where your question at? Kwanisha, I know you got a question. To the mic you go. Hi, I just have like one question. I know like in your profession, I know you've seen a lot of clients. Have you ever like, like I don't know, instinctively just like became to father in a client when you see that he has like, or she may have like a very like severe case. Like let's say like you on the on the highway and you just think about them, be like, oh, let me call this person up to see if he's like making any like progress mm. or if he's not for the like relapse or anything. Do I, do you say father or client? Like, well, not necessarily like father them, but like, I mean, like, you know, show more like caring attention to one client than the other. Like, okay. Like have favorites or something? Yeah, I guess you could say <laughs> like, We're trying to. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah, yeah. yes. Yeah, I, I, for, for those who present with a particular issue that I feel may need more attention, then I give them more attention. <coughs> Excuse me. I have teenage clients, you know, and uh, one of my teenage clients, uh, I, I tell all of them to reach out to me if they need me throughout the week, right? And so recently, uh, the young artist from South Florida passed away, oh. right? And he was broken about it, mm. right? And so he reached out to me. Uh, but I was in a session, so I called him back immediately, and then uh, we spoke for a little bit, but then I made sure that I checked on him every other day, yeah. right? So issues like that, of course, you have to follow up with people because when they're in a vulnerable state like that, you want to make sure that they're maintaining their state to where they can function properly, and they won't do anything to harm themselves or someone else, mm -hmm. right? And so on these clients, I have to check up on, I send them a text message, I may give them a call, or I may offer them even to come in to have another session. So yes, I, I do follow up with clients in the middle of the week in different times like that. Um, yeah, can I ask one more question? Yeah, go ahead, baby. Ask okay. away. I just want to see. Okay, so like, like from the time you've been in your in your profession, you know who would you say, like, which type of clients do you see the most? Like, if you had to like say who you see the most out the entire. Do you class? mean like gender or? <laughs> I mean, I mean, cases. Okay, yeah, so yeah, I guess so. For the most part, my clients have started off generally as just. Like 80, 20, 80% 80 females, 20% men. But I specialize in black male issues. I'm trying to flip that percentage over. I'm trying yeah. to have 80% men, maybe 20% women, right? And so in order to do that, I have to show up at places like this so, so the men in the room can see me and be like, man, this guy's cool. I can go talk to him if I need to. So they can feel more vulnerable, you know, be like, okay, he's a real whatever. And so, um, but yeah, for the most part, it's been 80, 20, you know? It's changing now. It's probably 70, 30. The men are coming in, the young men are coming in. I have more male clients now. And it's something that I look forward to, to helping out because one of the things that I pride myself in <clears throat> is that for me, I'm the therapist that I needed when I was your age, mm. right? Mm -hmm. So when, when I'm the therapist I needed 15 to 20 years ago. So I'm that guy that I, I would have definitely sat in the room with and talked to, right? If I had me 15 to 20 years ago, I would have avoided a yeah. lot of mistakes. You know, I'd have been in a better place mentally and emotionally to make better decisions. I'd have made better friendships. I'd have had better relationships overall, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I pride myself in being that individual that, uh, you know, a 15 or 25-year-old will come and talk to, you know, to make sure that they don't feel judged, to make sure that they don't feel like they're weak, to make sure that they don't feel like they uh, are soft, anything like that. So we talk. And then... Most of my sessions with my younger uh, clients, they're not just in the room. My office is 10 minutes from the beach. So we walk to the beach. We sit on take the beach. Take them out of the mm. Yeah, take them out of the office. Yeah. Sometimes we go to the court, the basketball court. I'm not that good, but we shoot around. <laughs> but we <can't> <laughs> <talk>. <laughs> I'm not that good, but we still shoot around, you know? Football, we, we toss the football around, you know? Mm. To let them just get outside, and it brings down their anxiety as it relates to having a conversation with the person about their issues. And it takes a while. Sometimes we go out five, six sessions before the person will start feeling, okay, this dude, you know, he's not, he, he's not a threat. He's not here to hurt me or harm me. I trust him a little bit more. Let me talk about some of the things that are more important. And it's timing, too. It's making sure that you don't press, put pressure on that individual to rush them into saying things that they're not ready to say, talk about topics they're not ready to talk about. And so you have to have, at least for me, you have to have that uh, mindset uh, as it relates to those clients. Yeah. I think it's a great question though. I think it's dope that you're like that. I just had a conversation with somebody the other day and it's like 
you have to seek out people that aren't in it for for just just the money or just in it just to just for for the for the accolades and stuff because you go to people that actually want to seek help like sometimes you go to doctors right. they don't give you a full prescription yep. because they want to keep you coming back they want right. to keep you sick yeah. they want to keep you yeah. still in need of them they don't want to see you heal really because then that'll put them out of business so to say and to speak but if you're you're in the business of helping people genuinely and i think we need more people that really just want to want to help genuinely yeah i you know i think this is important because i love my community you know i love brown and black people and so i want to see us do our best in all arenas you know and a part of that i'm not saying that mental health is a solution but we're part of that solution we're part of that formula that will help people be their best selves and so I pride myself in making sure that my people feel comfortable talking to me. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when you step into my office, one of the best compliments that a person can give me is that they don't feel like they're in a therapy office, you know? And I did that intentionally so that when they walk in, the aromas, the colors, the textures, everything is intentional so that when you walk in, you're like, man, this, this is chill, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? It's not I'm sitting on the couch yeah, and you dissecting my, you know, my brain. This looks good. It feels good. It smells good. I got, you know, it, it's just a great environment to create a conversation, to create a, a space where people don't feel threatened. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, it's not like dark colors and, and so serious, you know? And so it's a real chill vibe, hence the name Beachstone Counseling. That's why I'm 10 minutes from the beach. So I want people to come in and feel okay, you know? Right. And so I, I was intentional in doing that as well. So, yeah. Okay. My next question is kind of more personal, but, oh, my next question is more (laughs) personal. So, like, I know that it's possible in a relationship, like, after you were in a toxic relationship, to still feel certain things when you're with the next person. How do you open up to that person about that? Okay, great question. That's that forgiveness. Like, little things, like, little things, like, if they were to yell at you a little bit or raise their voice a little bit when they usually don't do that. Right. And it takes you back to Right. So a lot of the a lot of what I'm hearing makes me think about a person that hasn't really healed yet but has moved on. And that's a mm-hmm. very dangerous thing. You know, people who are who are who have insecure attachment, meaning that they have to be attached or they have to be in relationship to someone in order to feel whole. Wow. And so what I would say to that person is spend some time and take some time for yourself to heal properly before you open up to the next individual. And it's okay to be by yourself. Some of us, we don't like being by ourselves. We don't know what that feels like. We don't want to know what, you know, we we just don't want to deal with it at all. So we just close ourselves, you know, we just attach to the next person. And I had, I have, if you know, hopefully when it, when, the podcast is over, if I could give an actual visual example of what that looks like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'd love to do that because when you see it, then you could be like, man, that was me, that used to be me, or I've seen that before. Because we jump from one relationship to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, without actually taking time to to address what our needs are and address and to have proper healing from previous hurts, whether it's for family, whether it's other relationships, but we gotta take time for us to heal before we can move on and to give ourselves holistically to another relationship because that's unfair for the person that you're in relationship with that you're projecting some of your unresolved issues onto them, you know? Mm. That's when you hear people making generalized statement, statements, all men are this or all women are that mm-hmm. or, you know, Which is what guys they all always do. do this or, you know, I can't trust a guy because, you know, and the guy's like, man, <laughs> you know, I just said hi, you know? Yeah. Right, right, <laughs> just right. saying hi, you know? It's Yo, so, how was wrong? Right? It's so bad that I, when I was a single individual, I felt even strange about paying a woman a compliment because they didn't even know how to receive it. Yeah. They'd be like, they'll be like, nah, you got I an agenda or what you're you trying to say. Yeah. I'm like, I'm just trying to say you got, I like your hair. Bye. You know? <laughs> like, that, that's you it. Know? Just, that's just it. a compliment. That's like, it. I that's just it. keep it moving. So it's, it's hard because people don't take time to heal for themselves. So. My, my short, the short answer would be make sure you take time for you to heal Me before time. you reveal yourself to another relationship. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, my question is, is there a limit? Mm-mm. My question is, is there a limit to what you can and can't deal with? Like when I have others. 
Yes, yes. Helping others. You talking about me specifically? Oh, of course, man. Like, I'm a person, man. Mm -hmm. So there's only so much that I can take. But with that in mind, great question. With that in mind, and uh, hopefully we can pull up what the office looks like so you guys can see it. But I designed my office for me as well, right? So everything that's in there is for me to heal and to feel good about what I do because every time someone comes in there, they're dumping all of their stuff onto me and I'm taking mm. it in. What about me? And so the, the colors are intentional. The aromas are intentional. The music is intentional. The paintings on the walls are intentional for my healing, right? Right above where I see my clients. Like if you're facing me, right above, above your head is a, a, paint, a picture of the ocean, right? Right there. So every time or anytime that something gets too heavy, I can just glance up a little bit and it helps bring me back center because the ocean is significant to me. It's a place of healing for me. And so to have that visual there is a reminder, Matt, get back, focus, you know? You know, it'll be all right, you know? And I have imagery everywhere that helps me heal because I have to make sure I'm taking care of myself too. And in the times where I'm not my best, then then I can't see clients, you know? Like I had a friend that committed suicide about four or five years ago, and um, and I didn't see any clients for like two years. I stepped out of the field for two years because I needed that time to make sure that I was okay. Because I blamed myself, you know, I was depressed about it, and so I can't be a, a clinician dealing with my own issues, yeah. trying to help you out with your issues as well. It's not to say that I'm gonna always be perfect, but I have to make sure that my mental state is where it needs to be, my emotional state is where it needs to be, so I can properly assist the person. You know, so self-care is important. You always hear self-care, but as clinicians, we, we take care of ourselves too, man. You know, we know when to pull back and take a break. Okay. You know, great question. Great question. What do you suggest to individuals that are seeking mental health but don't have the financial means at the moment to access it? Great question. So that that's a part of the conversation that I have everywhere where I go. It's not cheap, you know. We gotta we gotta pay bills. Mm -hmm. The the building that I'm renting from, if I don't pay on time, they're gonna send me a letter. Right? And it's right? on the beach. And it's on the beach, <laughs> right. so you know. Right? Yeah. Right? I gotta make sure that the you know the the lights are on. The you know. These things are paid, and, and I got babies got to eat. <laughs> I got four of them, you know. Oh, okay, so yeah, I had triplets. That's a long story. Oh, uh, so that's so, a um, blessing. I want to, oh, a no, no, oh, whole different so conversation. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that one. And so, um, yes, we, we do charge a significant amount. We, we went to school, we've studied, we, we do need to get paid. However, there are a lot of practices that have sliding skills, and you have to look that out when you're looking your when you're doing your search. Look for clinicians that have sliding skills, meaning what they do is that they assess your financial state and then they adjust their rates according to what you can afford. I'm one of those clinicians. So, so I see clients at my regular rate, which is 150. I have no issue saying that. It's a healthy amount. That's but what for it those is. who can't afford it, they will pay it. If you can't afford it, great. But if you can't afford it, that doesn't mean that you don't deserve to get the help that you need. So inquire. Don't just find one and be like, oh, it's too expensive, I'm done. See, this is why I can't get help anyway because yeah. it costs too much. I don't have insurance. I'm never going to get help. You know, That's just a mentality that you have to shift and to keep looking. Find someone that has a sliding skill. There are also clinics at uh, colleges and universities that they have. Barry University is one of them. They have a clinic where they see individuals on a sliding skill where you'll be dealing with graduate students that can assist you as well, mm -hmm. but they have the, the, the backing of... Um, their professors and so forth that will you know that will be there to support those students. Nova is one of them as well. I think FAU, one too. Yeah. you know, they may have those. Well, I don't know if UM has one. You know, FMU yeah. If you're a free. student, yeah. if you're a student, if you're a student, student is free. Um, but if you're not a student, they do have discount rates that you can do. But look for when you're doing your search, look for something that says sliding scale fee, meaning a person that's willing to adjust their rate to accommodate where you are financially. Mm. Okay. So this was a pretty, honestly, it was a dope conversation. I One of my favorite, favorite ones yet. And I just, just to close it out, I think these conversations are important. Mm -hmm. Not even just, just like uh, how me and Quay, we, we always talk about it a lot. We say the podcast is therapeutic, but just having people of, of your field and of, we need that representation in the field because yeah. a lot of those people, they don't, they might not know how to deal with our issues, the things, the trauma that we deal with. Very the, true. 
and it's great. So I just want to thank you again for, for just being one of those people that put yourself in, in the industry and in the market to help your people, to give back, to pay it forward to the people that, that need it the most. Yeah. Because I feel like that was one of the issues at first, too, with black people not wanting to, to seek that help is because we, we didn't have people that looked like us that we could seek the help from. Right. Mm-hmm. Definitely right. So I'm happy to be here, man, and I'd love to come back. When you guys would ever want to have yes. me again. I, I think we're back um, probably going to get you one day with Tierra on. Okay. She got a lot to ask <laughs> But um, let everyone where they can find you in your business. Definitely. So if you have a phone and you have Instagram, you can find me at Beachstone Counseling. Go to the page. Like the page. There's a lot of great content on there. And on there, of course, you can message me on there. If you didn't have a chance to ask a question, if you felt... Uh, like this wasn't the space for you to ask the question. You can message me. I always get back to you within 24 hours. I'm on Facebook. I'm also on Twitter. It's Beachstone Counseling on all of them. If you look up Beachstone Counseling, you'll find me. And uh, my phone number for the business is uh, 754-361-27. Uh, 754-361-27. Website, www.beachstonecounseling.com. Email. Beachstone Counseling 143 at gmail.com. So find me, ask questions, interact, engage mm-hmm. as much as you can. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Yeah. Yes. If you don't think it's for you, it's yeah, for somebody. Definitely. Somebody because now that share. you know, you have a responsibility to now share this information with somebody else. I'm one of the real ones. I have to admit that. You know, like I said, I, 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 I positioned myself to be that person that I would feel comfortable talking to 15 to 20 years ago. And so I'll at me. All right, and that's the A-list, baby. Ew.